the Buddha uh, had, he had precepts for people. Um, so there's sort of guidelines on how to live. And he had different precepts for um, sort of different people. And the differences would be that those who want to take um, more uh, higher renunciation. So he has the five precepts, which are one type of, um, of way of guiding our behavior. But then he increased that to eight precepts. Um, and those are more of uh, very much like a monastic precepts. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and then he has the, the actual monks and nuns precepts, which are more in the realm of um, 227. And then it's helpful what rhymes with that for the nuns is 311. So the nuns actually have more, uh, more precepts. Um, and I think that doesn't actually rest on there. <laughs> but it's okay. This is, this is exactly uh, what the Buddha taught, you know. No broken, no Buddhism. So, or if it worked, then there wouldn't be any Buddhism. So, um, so the, the important thing is that these precepts, they're, not, um, they're kind of not rules in order to punish oneself or um, they're not empty. They have a form. There's an intention, a purpose behind them. And the, the main purpose is that they're kind of, um, there's a tendency with, with how the Buddha teaches that essentially um, we are very good at getting ourselves into trouble. And so the Buddha says, all right, well, how can I give some fundamental guidelines um, for people who are interested in not getting themselves into trouble, a way to, to prevent that? Uh, and so he teaches what's called sila. This is morality. And uh, especially the, the four precepts, I'm going to call them, are, are the moral uh, teachings. And I said that there's five precepts, but I'm only saying four now because the, there are actually only four moral precepts he talks about that are part of these five. And the fifth one is interesting. It's no drugs or alcohol. You know, that's not moral. That, that should be in the moral area. But he didn't think so. He didn't think that that was morality because his determination around morality was what was harmful to other beings, what led you to harm other beings. And so um, the precept around uh, using drugs or alcohol, um, it, admittedly, of course, that could harm you, but it, it wouldn't uh, necessarily, uh, it's, it's not actually going to bring you to harm another person, um, but it could and so then that's why that's um, in, the, in the five precepts. And so um, a lot of times the, the first four precepts are broken because somebody is, is uh, using substances or drinking or they're, they're using drugs. So in that case, um, it, leads to, it leads to the breaking of these four precepts. So that's why he thought it was so important. Uh, as I was saying, these are guidelines for our behavior. And so what they are is a way for us to um, like if he had said, there are these five precepts and this is what you should do. So rather than don't kill any living beings, he said, um, you should save all living beings. Could you imagine a life of trying to save all living beings every moment that you're walking around and you're just constantly thinking, oh, I got to go help this person or that person all the time. You wouldn't be able to fulfill anything else. So then he, that's why these are all in the negative. So this, the rules are stated as don't do this. So these five precepts, um, they're, they're considered cornerstone. And so they have to do with not taking the life. Um, it's not just of human beings, but of any living creature. Um, and that doesn't include 
um, it's it's he said it's the actual taking of the life that is that is the the main issue here, and so he wasn't um, pushing uh, veganism or vegetarianism. Uh, he just said that uh, for the for he he would encourage those things, um, but he didn't. They weren't they weren't a requirement. It was the actual killing that uh, was the concern here, and so um, that's the first precept. The second is not stealing. Um, the third is to guide our um, sexual energy, and so not to, to do any kind of, uh, to engage in any sexual activities that are harmful to other people. This would be like um, uh, cheating on somebody or uh, abusing somebody in some way. So it could be any of those, um, those kind of things. And then um, the fourth is essentially what he's talking about specifically in the fourth. It used to be called false and harmful speech, but the fourth one is just about lying. So it's that we won't lie. And, and the Buddha actually took that to a uh, very high degree. He said, not in any case. So then people come up with a lot of theoretical reasons why, well, no, it would be good to lie in this case. You know, if you're in Nazi Germany and you are hiding somebody like a Jewish person who's um, needing to be protected, you should, yeah, just go ahead and lie, no problem. And that's not what the Buddha suggested um, because you can get yourself in trouble and the other person in trouble, even if you're trying to protect them, because once somebody knows you're lying, they, they, they lose all trust in you. So what you could do is change the subject very quickly or do other things other than lying um, that aren't breaking the, the truth. Uh, that's the fourth precept. And then, as I mentioned, the fifth is, uh, is drinking and uh, drugs using substances that delude the mind so that you're liable to break these other four precepts much more easily. The thing about these precepts is they sound like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, I could probably do all those precepts and manage those. Um, but when you really take it down to not lying at all, that's very interesting. It means that like in every situation, you're going to figure out a way to either um, not have to say something. Like if somebody says to you, um, what do you think of what I'm wearing tonight? And you really think it's not uh, something you want to say back to them, what you think, uh, you know, like it looks awful. I wouldn't wear it. You say like, you know, you don't have to then hit the Buddha and advocate will always be true. Just say it. Just always be truthful. He said, we'll figure out another way. So you're not lying. So you go, oh, well, that's not really important what I think. What's important is what you think. I said, I know what you mean by that. <laughs> so, so, but we, but the, the point is to, to not, you know, to not do that. So um, that's, a, that's a very important aspect with the truth. When you take it to that level, it's not easy because people just in your daily life, if you're not aware of, um, of something like, like um, if I said, um, somebody said, where's Jessica? And I said, oh, Jessica's downstairs in the, in the kitchen. And that's not a lie, but I saw Jessica five minutes ago down there. So if I'm going to say to you like, oh, I know where she is. She's in the kitchen. That's just not, that's something I need to temper in terms of like the sense of, I know, I always know what's going on. You know, this is me. I'm knowing what's, what's happening. I can have an answer for you. I'm right. I got it. And so um, we have to be careful even in those responses. And so that would be more accurately said five minutes ago, I saw her in the kitchen. I don't know where she is right now. But a lot of people, they don't, they have a, uh, an extreme allergy to the words, I don't know. And so they, they don't want to ever say that in, in any kind of situation. 
um, but it's a good thing to get to uh, to get yourself familiar with. It's a very helpful thing to be able to say the words I don't know. Um, and so those are those are the the guidelines. And as I was starting out, um, saying that when we really follow these, if I was to ask you, what if every single person on the planet followed one precept, just one precept? You imagine what the world would be like if, if there was no killing anymore. So that means that no one would be afraid of you know, their neighbor or anybody else. They wouldn't be afraid of at least them taking life. And there would be an incredible amount of peace in the, in the world. Um, same with stealing. Just that one precept. You could just leave all your stuff anywhere you wanted. Leave your cars open, the, 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 the doors of your houses open. Um, there just would be no fear around that. And imagine how much the heart would be released um, from the burden of, of worrying about um, worrying about these things. Um, same with sexuality, same with truth. In fact, truth is an interesting one because when somebody catches you in a lie, from that moment on, the entire relationship you have with that person um, changes because they know that you are capable of not telling the truth. And because they know that, they have a sense that, well, because it happened once, I never know when it's going to happen again with this person. So that's why the, the Buddha was so, he was advocating so much that truth is so important. Um, if it happens more than once and it's a pattern, then it's very hard for people to, to gain trust in others. And so it can really damage relationships um, and damage uh, spirituality, especially um, if you think about like a teacher, people are taking refuge in a teacher and it turns out that teacher has lied. Um, someone could just have no interest in, in the particular spiritual direction they were headed in. So these are, uh, it can be a very serious act. So that's, that's really where the Buddha thought that if I have these particular behaviors, these, these physical behaviors, these are not behaviors of the mind, but actual things that are done in the world, actions. Uh, body and speed so I can encourage people just okay I'll stop here I won't go beyond that and I won't actually lie then that that provides an enormous amount of protection for others but then it gives people trust in you you know it's okay this person's not going to harm me they've taken on these these important precepts so the Buddha was um he, he really thought that that was incredibly important um with how he uh encourage people to practice. And for a lot of people, especially um, I would say in America, there's a, there's a tendency towards meditation is the important thing. If I can learn how to calm my mind, then it doesn't matter what kind of precepts I follow, I have a calm mind. But you can't actually have a calm mind without following precepts because you have so much regret that comes up. And the two go hand in hand, but um, that's unfortunately where the mistake is, is actually starting with the precepts is what's important. So this is just a, a bit of a review on uh, why it is that we're, we take precepts and why they're so important. And then what we can do with them um, once we've taken them and why this is considered like something the Buddha advocated doing um, usually every couple of weeks to take these precepts, not just to do it once, was that it's a reminder. And um, one can take these as a reminder every day, just to remind oneself, right, I'm following these five precepts. Um, and then that can, that can, it gets to be a habit for you. Oh, I said I wasn't going to lie. 
and now I'm in this situation where, um, you know, I would normally lie or I would normally kind of bend the truth. And so now what am I going to do? And it then builds wholesome habits of what you're going to do next, how to build on that. Okay. So I can't lie. So what can I do in this situation? And you start to learn like, Oh, all right, there's alternatives. Once you get those alternatives, then there are times when people will see that there are opportunities where you might've not said something. And instead you figured out a way to stay it, say it. Um, and sometimes, sometimes there's there, it just requires having to, a person's feelings might be hurt by your saying the truth, but as long as you're trying to avoid that in some way, um, you're trying to do it in the best way you can, um, then hopefully that person will honor the truth rather than the fact that they've, you know, there's been some pain caused in, in actually revealing that truth. Um, so this is essentially how we protect people and how we protect ourselves. And then it's also how people can see that they have trust in you so that they, they know this person isn't harmful. You know, they're not, this is not a person who's ever harmful to me. So that's where we have, we, we can have a, a field of, of meta or loving kindness um, for others who we hold up. And so when we're holding up the precepts, we're also holding up other people and then they're doing the same for us. So you can find a comfortable posture for yourselves. There's some sitting meditation. If you feel comfortable with closing your eyes, it's helpful. That, you know, in a way, cuts off the visual field. Can everybody hear me? They can all hear me. <clears throat> so I'm going to suggest, since it's a sit for about 20, 25 minutes, that uh, those of you who are in chairs uh, actually not be so comfortable as to um, not have your back against the back of the chair. So this is one of the ways that we, unless um, physically you're un unable to do that, then try to scoot forward a bit and have, have your back um, elevated um, so, that, so that it's not leaning back on the back of the, the seat. And the reason for that is that when, you know, if we're, if we get used to really holding up our back with our, our muscles and allowing the, the, the bone structure to also hold up our backs um, for resting in a particular way in our, in our body in that way, then um, we don't need to um, kind of let everything relax and, and flop down into the back. Cause that is the tendency for how people will, will often become drowsy and fall asleep. So experimenting a little bit with moving up to the front of your chair and just trying to keep your back upright, I think will help a lot with that. And if it doesn't, or it causes too much physical pain, then don't do it. As you're sitting here then uh, with all of us, uh, or most of us trying to do that, just imagine um, that there is a line or a string or a rope going from the um, top of your head, the, the back of the base of the head, through your neck and down through your backbone to your tailbone and your whole body is pivoting on that rope. So um, it's, as if, it's as if your body's hanging on that 
and you can allow your, your bone structure to really hold up your back in that way. You don't have to tighten up your muscles, but you have that straightness. So you're not, you're neither falling backward uh, or, or forward. And your head in the same way is, is balanced top of your neck. And again, it's neither falling forward or backward. So you can be aware of what we call the earth element is, all of you who are you're all sitting. So you can be aware of the, your, your buttocks on the back of your cushion or the seat, um, very grounded experience. Uh, either your feet are on the ground or your, your feet and your legs uh, are helping to prop you up, helping to be part of that balance. So feeling that solidity under you, the sense of the earth element. And then being aware of any tension that you might be carrying right now in your posture. Often that can be in the shoulders. We protect ourselves bring our shoulders up or in. This is our armor that we create. So we've all just taken the precepts. There's nothing to worry about. Can, we're in a, everyone is taking the precepts to not harm another person. So we don't have to defend ourselves against anyone. So having a, a sense of openness Relaxing those muscles that might be tight. Could also be in your legs, your hips. This could be carried in how tightly you're bringing your, your legs together. Some people can hold tension in their feet, others in their hands. Just letting that tension go. And the, the place where people hold often a lot of that, that tension in their muscles in the, in the face, especially when they're trying to concentrate, brow is furled, lots of crinkles around the eyes. So just relaxing the muscles, the forehead, around the eyes cheeks, this is all requiring an awareness of the body.
So continuing with this awareness, you might have a sense of, of movement. The body is moving. There's activity, there's an energetic level of, of movement, even while sitting. So for many of us, we can use this as a, a point of contact where our mind can rest. This is usually the, with the air element, the wind element, breathing. So where is it that you sense the experience of breathing could be your abdomen, chest. In your throat, your shoulders. Coming in out of the, the nose. So we're having a sense of the quality of the in-breath and the out-breath, the experience of this. The key is to have an intention to be aware of that breath. Much of the time, if we're not so trained, then we're not aware that we're breathing. Breathing just does itself without our knowing that it's happening.
being aware of the qualitative aspect, as I mentioned, of the breath, your experience of it. You can see that there's a difference between the in-breath and the out-breath. The in-breath is more usually expansive. It has a more active quality. Diaphragm is expanding, bringing air into the lungs. And then there is a release, relaxation of those muscles. And then a pause. 